0: Well, as the weeks go, I know many of you would affirm, uh, you never know from week to week what is going to happen, what the Lord has ordained as he continues to um, work in his church and in his saints. And you know, it has been an incredible season, has it not, for the church, uh, for this church? It really has been so... uh, I just ask for your bearing with me this morning with just a very scattered week and scattered thoughts. And um, I just took a moment last night. There's just so much in my mind. And I do honestly say, just pray that it's only the Lord that comes through this morning. Um, but just a few thoughts on where we're at today in the events, not just of this week, but as we approach the one year anniversary. I say that. Uh, Almost surprisingly, of what has been this past year. Uh, just a few things, and again, just to settle us, I, I wrote them down. Uh, here is where Westmount we are at in February 2021. It is not just legal to kill helpless babies in the womb. It's legal to do that, to murder an infant in the womb. It's paid for, and you know what we do? We take money and we give it to other countries to do that. It's legal and promoted to slaughter infants in the womb. It's not just legal to decide to take your own life, but you know what? The doctor's going to help you to do that. Too much pain, too much suffering, or you're just done with it, the doctor will help. It's not just legal to claim to change your gender, To say, God, no, 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 I'm going to do it my way. But not only will the doctor help, but in just a matter of weeks, it will be a hate crime to counsel anyone to do otherwise. Same-sex marriage used to be wrong. Do you remember that? Now it's protected and it's promoted under the law. Under the law. Under the law. Drugs used to be illegal. Do you remember when drugs were illegal? I heard this week a state in the United States has now legalized all kinds of recreational drugs. Now we have marijuana shops and safe injection sites. Legally. Legally. Last year, criminals became heroes and police officers became public enemies. And this week, a pastor and a friend was sent to jail for preaching the word of God. He was sent to jail because he opened the doors of the church. Listen to me, the only refuge in these times. People want answers. They want truth. They're alone. They need truth. And the government said no. This is not even a neutral stance. This says no, you are going to jail because you're a danger to society. The anxious, the scared, the lonely and lost. When the church closes its doors, has nowhere to go. As it stands now, by the way, as many of you are asking for an update, my friend James Coates has a court date this Wednesday. You can pray for the lawyers. And that court date now is the only one that stands between an incarceration that likely will last till the spring. Maybe June. That's how long he may stay behind bars because he's a danger to society. May God have mercy this Wednesday. Please pray. Listen, no matter your opinion on James Coates and on the church, I pray this morning you'll give this a hearing. No matter if you had quibbled it, you wouldn't have done it that way or you wouldn't have gone that far. Beloved, I pray we can unite around this truth. This is a sobering moment for the church. Did you ever think you would see a pastor in jail? This is where we are at. Again, wherever you fall on the spectrum of what the church needs to do, this is the moment. Thinking anything else, that life will go back to normal, beloved, I love you too much to say it's a fairy tale. It's over. We will not go back to normal. We will not. And with that, when we think about this world and how backwards it is, Almighty God, as he always does, has something to say about it. In fact, I would say this not just for us, but for any that would hear this. Hear the word of the Lord who declares a woe against what we are going through. Isaiah 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right." It's embedded in a chapter with so much else that God declares woe. This is where we are at. And God's indictment on these times can be clearer in the text. Beloved, let us just go to the Lord now and pray for his mercy on the church, on James, on Grace Life in Edmonton today, on our church, on all churches. Let us pray to our holy God. Bow with me. Oh Lord, God of justice. O God of justice, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked be exalted? They pour out their arrogant words and their evil boast. They oppress, they strike, and they crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless, and they say, the Lord does not see. But Father, we turn to you and lift up our brother, James. We lift him up to you now. God of all comfort, comfort him like only you can. They cannot remove your spirit from Pastor James. If he's in the pulpit, you are there. If he's before a judge, you are there. And now as he sits in jail, you are there. Strengthen him, encourage him. Oh God, deliver him. Comfort Aaron, his wife, with her husband now taken from her. Comfort Isaac and Caleb, his two sons, while apart from their father. Uphold Grace Life Church and uphold Pastor Jacob today. As they stand for you, uphold them, Lord. O sovereign Lord, maker of heaven and earth, grant to your servants to continue to speak the word with boldness. Grant us courage in the midst of this wicked and perverse generation. O King Jesus, be glorified in us as we bow the knee to you and to you alone now and forevermore. Amen. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Exodus with me. Exodus, we continue our study in this second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12. This is a book, my way of just brief recap as we get back into it, a book that opened with God's people oppressed in Egypt, yet oppressed, and mark it, oppressed and multiplying remember that they're increasing in oppression what a parable for today (laughs) going in bondage right lots of bondage and growing in that bondage and slavery and under tyranny god's people cried out to god remember exodus 2 23 they cried out to yahweh cried out to him And God raised up a deliverer. God called Moses, exiled in Midian, remember? Called out from a bush. God, make that Yahweh, revealed the power of his name to Moses, to Israel, then to Pharaoh and all of Egypt, through the display of mighty signs and wonders. And with each of those plagues, Pharaoh's heart only grew harder. Harder. His refusal to let God's people go. All the while, that was the backdrop, right? For God's sovereignty to become clearer. Each plague increasing in intensity. Each plague revealing Egypt's powerlessness. That's what we've been studying and that's what we've seen. Last time, we left off with God's final warning to Pharaoh. Do you remember that? Look in chapter 11. God making clear what lay ahead for continued refusal. Look at verse 4 of chapter 11. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, this is to Pharaoh's stubborn heart, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. And that is sobering. You think about anyone giving that kind of warning, right, about what's to come. That should cause them to sit up straight to heed attention. Yet, look at verse 10. Verse 10 sets us up. This gets us back into this scene. Tells us not only how Pharaoh responded, But Mark's what's going to come. Verse 10, Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. There it is. Pharaoh's hardened heart remains. Remains. Thus, what follows is due judgment. Pharaoh, Egypt, receiving what they're due. Yet that judgment, mark it, God's judgment, is cast against God's mercy. God's mercy. We we have commented, and we don't want to miss this, brothers and sisters, through this account. Lots of judgment, lots of signs and wonders. We've commented, though, on this, that during these nine plagues, there's been nine opportunities to repent and turn. Has there not been? And in the face of just such strong hardness of heart, There's opportunities to repent. God's mercy woven through. God continuing to extend mercy. Continuing to offer wake-up call after wake-up call. That was mercy to the rebel, Pharaoh. And and note that in the face of wickedness and sin, what's God's first move? Mercy and warning. That's your God. God. That's your God. In the face of, and think of how many of us would say, just give him what's coming to him. God says, mercy, mercy. Nine times he's offered that mercy. And here in Exodus, that mercy's extended, as we've seen. But now, the sovereign hand of God removes that restraint, removes that withholding, because the time has come. And we will see what that looks like today as it's outlined, and and, and this is what lies ahead. However, as that mercy, that restraint is lifted from Egypt, it doesn't stop from being given to another. And beloved, I want to say as we begin this morning, I don't want us to miss this piece. It's not like mercy has left the scene completely. In fact, you're going to see mercy particularly on a people In fact, we would call it deliverance. Deliverance, do you remember that? Oppressed people? That crushed people? Now mercy offered to them. Let's begin. These first 20 verses in chapter 12 will show us. In fact, we'll deal with it chunk by chunk. And see deliverance revealed. Deliverance revealed. Look at verse 1 with me. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. God begins here, do you see it? to reveal how he is going to deliver his people. This is what he's beginning to reveal. This is the how it's going to happen. And what we need to see immediately is the details and dates are all over this. Did you see them in those first few verses? God is in the details. He's in the dates. God says, look at verse two, Israel, with this coming deliverance, your calendar will reset. Did you see that? This is so monumental, Israel. Your calendar is going to reset this month, the seventh month, by the way, which would approximate to about April. This, what would normally have been the seventh month, will now become Abib or Nisan. This becomes now the beginning of months. This is where it all is reset to. In other words, Israel, you will now mark time by deliverance. You see that? Time will be marked by deliverance. And some of you are thinking, wait a minute, isn't our current calendar marked by deliverance too? And it is our civil calendar, right? You have BC and then after Christ and it's the same kind of idea here, certainly right from Yahweh in this case. And more detailed than months, look how God says says this, mark the days. Look at it, on the 10th day, right, verse 3, on the 10th day of this month, take a lamb. Keep it until specifically the 14th day, verse 6. Again, we we just cannot miss the specificity here. Exact dates. And why are we highlighting this? This is the care and precision and order of God. The other detail that we see in these opening verses is a sacrifice. And the sacrifice specifically is what? Look at it a lamb. Introduced in verse 3. For now, let us not just notice the details of this lamb, right? We'll get to more of that in a moment, but let's comment on them. Verse 5. The lamb shall be what? Without blemish, a male, a year old. By the way, that year old points to it being an optimal lamb, the very best of lambs. Take that. Take that. And then, of course, this detail. And this is the key. So not just the details, but this detail of details. Verse 6. The lamb is to be what? Killed. The lamb is to be killed. Israel's deliverance then revealed this way. Mark it. A perfect lamb is to be slain. Consider also now the instructions that follow. Let's consider the next section, starting in verse 7. Then... with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will not pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood... I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Without getting too much in the weeds here, I mean, there's so many details, right? We're tempted to just camp out in, and that is for another time, and specifically when we're looking at history and some of the finer details of Passover ceremony. We don't get too caught up here. We want to really grasp the main thing. And by way of doing that, we're going to highlight three things in these verses. Number one, notice how the details keep coming. Do you see that? There's just details upon details, specific instructions on how to do it. This is very key. It's like a divine prescription. Do you see that? Yahweh saying this is how you're going to do it very specifically. And note this, and we'll really get into this in the weeks to come, not do it however you like, do it this way. God says, I have a way that I want you to do it. Specific instructions on where to put the lamb's blood. Exact details on what to do with the meat. And look at it. Roast it. All of it. That means nothing raw at all. By the way, these details uh, may seem small, but they're a way to distinguish Israel from the pagan nations, who not only had no problem eating raw and bloody meat, Right? But that was ritualistic for them. So Yahweh is saying here, you, and you see the precursors of this, you are a set-apart people. You will not eat the way the pagans do. A prescription that included even the manner of eating. Look at verse 11. In this manner... Look at how fine these prescription details go. In this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Eat, and this is so key, not in a posture of settling Israel. You're not in a settled posture when you're eating. But you're in a posture market of moving and of going. Because my people, this is what Yahweh is saying, you are a people in transit. Do you see that? You are a people in motion. Egypt's not your home. Now, we're going to have much more to say about the details as we put those to the side for a moment in chapter 25. As we resume, as the text does, with our God of order. So we'll leave that for now. However, before we move forward, we need to make a point of application on that detail in verse 11. And the text just begs it. This is a key piece of what Yahweh's outlining. And here it is, beloved. God's people, God's people have never been a people settling in a foreign land. That's never been the goal of God's people, to be settled in a foreign land. God's people in Egypt or exile have never, ever been called to settle down. Do you see that? You'll be in a foreign land and just settle there. And I would submit to you, church, that this is one of the major issues we're facing today. Believe me, I'm resisting all kinds of temptation to spring off this into something different that's the order of the day. But we are not called to settle down, and so much of our issues come when we're fighting against fear because we want to settle down. We want roots here, and we love the things of the temporal. Christians, and listen to me, I am with you afraid to lose the comforts, comforts of this life and instead then are content to place roots in Egypt because we don't want to lose them. And as a result, then, we don't move. We don't eat with belt fastened. We don't eat with sandals on our feet. And we don't heed God's call to his people that you see here to eat to partake, to do these normal basic things in life with a posture of readiness. And before you know it, as we cling to these things, eventually we lose everything. Benjamin Franklin, I wouldn't recommend you get any comment on the Bible by him, but Benjamin Franklin was very astute at analyzing the human condition and culture, said this. Listen carefully this likely ungodly man and what he has to say those who give up essential liberty to obtain a little temporal safety gain neither did you hear that those who give up essential liberty to obtain a little temporal safety gain neither Years later, Francis Schaeffer came along and basically warned the church of the same thing. The more you keep trading freedoms just to be safe, you're in far more trouble than you could have ever imagined. over and over again, we see the church and the heralds calling to the church, this world is not our home. Don't fight for the temporal things, fight for the eternal things. That's one detail. Two, notice the reality of God's judgment. Do you see it here? Through this passage, justice is an attribute of our God. And His justice is revealed pointedly, look at verse 12, so pointed. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and listen to this, I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. How comprehensive, both man and beast, and listen to this, on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. In other words, this is justice for your rebellion. All the firstborn will die in judgment. And in that death, God says, look at it, I will execute judgments on all the gods of Egypt. We have been walking through these few weeks the pantheon of Egyptian gods. And what is Yahweh doing? God after God, plague after plague, demonstrating how powerless and really how nothing they are, how false they are. It's been a grand expose, one after another. These gods that you serve, Egypt, they're not gods at all. All that allegiance, false worship, mistrust, exposed for what it is, impotent. It's impotent. God brings judgment on both rebellious man and false god. Yet, that's not the end of the story for Yahweh. Justice, but one attribute of God. There is, of course, the mercy of God. And we see that embodied in the the next thing we need to look at in these verses, and it's this notice that the Lamb's blood. Do you see that in view here? Notice that the Lamb's blood is necessary. You see that? And it's specifically applied to God's people. I just want you to pause for a moment and think. God could have said in his omnipotence, well, I'm just not going to have the angel of death touch the Israelites, right? He could have said that, but he didn't say that. Look again at verse 7, the lamb's blood, how he will look at his people is that they kill a lamb and put that blood on the doorframe. By the way there, the lintel and the post, that's just really the archway, that's what it is. And why a blood-covered archway? Look at verse 13, why? The blood shall be, ah, look at this, a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, when I see the blood... I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Again, all kinds of restraint here. When I see the blood. When I see the blood. I don't see how all these good things that you're doing in the house, how you're you're a Hebrew or Jew. I I don't see all the good things that you're saying. All the duty, all the routine. No, what do I see? When I see what? The blood. When I see the blood. That is is the protective covering the blood and the blood alone god says when i see the blood don't miss this god doesn't just say i'll simply spare you israel he doesn't say well it's just gonna be unleashed here and if you're a jew you don't have to worry about that it's just egypt no look at verse 12 for i will pass through the land of egypt That's not the people of Egypt, the land of Egypt. That night, and I will strike all the firstborn in what? The land of Egypt. Both man and beast. All in the land will have death pass through them. The angel of death will visit every house, and here it is, because every single house deserves it. Death, the deserved punishment for Egypt's rebellion and Israel's grumbling. Can we say that? Deserve death for both. Hence, death will indeed visit everyone. And that is precisely what the New Testament says, is it not? Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is not those that just don't love God, they're the only ones that have sinned. No, all have sinned. Romans 6:23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. That's for all men. Hebrews 9:27, "It is appointed for man to die once. That means everyone experiences the consequences of their sin by nature in the fact that they die. Everyone in the land of Egypt then, Israelite or Egyptian, deserve death. That is clear. Yet, look here again in verse 13. God says, "When I see what? the blood." I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you. I will pass over you. That, of course, is where the term Passover comes from, and we're all very familiar with that term, a very Jewish term, and this is its origins here. A death visit is earned by all, but for my people, the Lamb's blood will cause me to pass over you. Do you see that? If you have the blood, if you're covered by the blood, the wrath of God, the angel of death, passes over you. It can't be a, a clearer visual. What a mercy. What a mercy. The, the blood of the Lamb will secure your deliverance. In West Mound, let's not miss this here, that the Lamb's blood and the Lamb's blood alone brings mercy. The Lamb's blood spares. And see how specifically... The lamb's blood is applied directly to God's people. It's not shed and covered all over the households of Egypt without limit, right? God's blood is not just everywhere, but then it's only effectual for the people that recognize the blood on the doorpost. That's not the way it works. The lamb's blood is not effective, just running all over through Egypt, but only the ones that say, oh, yes, we truly do have blood on our archways. Okay, well then, yes, the angel of death will pass over you. No. The lamb's blood is specifically, particularly given to who? God's people. This is how God designed it. There's no blood in waiting for others. In fact, in a most telling picture, let me complete the picture this way. Those that do not have blood on their doorposts in any fashion, regardless of what they look at that blood or see it, they will have their firstborn struck. The bare doorposts with no blood covering. Maybe a whole bunch of other things thrown up to, say, spare us from this death. Can imagine maybe some Egyptians getting wind of it, thinking, we'll be all right. We're not possibly that bad. But if you don't have the lamb's blood on your doorpost, You face death. Secondly, that's deliverance revealed. Secondly, deliverance remembered. Look at verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. What is amazing about this account here is that before it even unfolds, God says, and note this, it hasn't even unfolded, and God says, moving forward, Israel, he kind of looks forward now, he says, remember this day. This is incredible. You talk about the power of God. This is seeing all of time with all of his knowledge in all of his power. That's right. This is his omnipresence, his omniscience, his omnipotence, all in one in this act. Just an incredible moment. This is Yahweh saying, mark this day as a memorial. You know, you think of people talking this way about making predictive prophecies today, yet saying, you know what? You're going to mark it every year. This is beyond bold boasts of today. This is the power of God. To say, this is how I've orchestrated time, Israel, and I'm just now revealing it to you, and now you align your actions and daily things and yearly calendars to this. I've already ordained it. Just come. What, what a peace. Is that not true? What a peace. Just come and be part. God says, my people, remember your deliverance. Mark this day. And that memorial day, here it is. This is our God. It's not just to be something that comes up with a different color on your calendar. This day is a feast. You see that? Mark this as a feast day. This is ceremony. Ceremony. When we get to Exodus 23... We'll see this feast and how it's embedded in the law and how important it is. So we'll come back to that. A commanded feast and other feasts, not just for that generation, not just to be enjoyed as like a honeymoon for what's about to happen. How often, right, do we have that? We're all fired up about one thing and it it maybe lasts two weeks or maybe a year. No, look at the end of verse 14. This is a feast, see it? For every generation, in fact, note the language, a statute forever. You could also render that, by the way, that statute forever, as a permanent or eternal ordinance. I really like the way the New American Standard translates this here, is a lasting ordinance. So good. An ordinance, as we just learned Wednesday nights, is a biblical command, a sacrament. God says, remember this deliverance with a lasting ordinance. In other words, Not just do this, keep doing this. Do you see that? Continue to do this. And we've talked at length at Westmount on how necessary it is for us to do things that help us to remember. Further prescriptions for that Old Testament ordinance, that memorial, are given next. Look at verse 15 with me. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. So let's look at the scene in whole. There is a Passover feast that's one day, and it's Passover. One day feast, Passover. Then for seven days, in these prescriptions here, another feast, another feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That would be bread without yeast. That's what leaven would be, bread without the agent that makes it rise, and that takes time for yeast to, to work through the dough so that it rises. And look at what God is saying here. You will mark a feast that highlights the haste with which you left Egypt. Do you see that? I didn't, in fact, in, in God's perfect plan, says you take seven days to remember that feast. This is amazing. Both feasts then together, marking Israel's deliverance and pictures of that original Passover in Egypt. Right? The, the, the lamb's blood and the unleavened bread. They're marking Israel's deliverance and these markers of their deliverance and they're to remember them forever. And note the symbolic warning here. Look at verse 19. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leaven, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. This is the lingering that we see here well, I'm just waiting for the bread to rise. This just needs to happen. You see what the Lord is addressing here. Anything captured in leaven that would say, I just need to wait. I need to wait. It reminds me of Lot's wife in Genesis nineteen twenty six. What did she do? She looked back. You can almost wonder at times. She said, oh no, we got to go back to Sodom. She sought leaven. She lingered. And we know what happened to her. No, God's people look forward to deliverance. Their hand is to the plow. There's no time for the leaven to rise. No, they look forward to their sojourn to the promised land. As we alluded to already this morning, we church are citizens not of this land, but we're citizens of a better country. Is that not true? We are just passing through. And might I say, by just side application from my heart to yours, beloved, that helps today. Remind yourselves this place is not your home. We're just passing through. We actually have a date with eternity and our Savior. We're just passing through. Now, God's people look forward to deliverance to that day, to that promised land. And as they do, as we do, in a very different way, which we'll look at later, remember, remember your deliverance. Israel here remembers their deliverance. They mark a memorial day now. The instructions have been given. What will you do, Israel? It's the question. What are you going to do? The instructions have been given. Next point, deliverance received. We continue in verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. "'None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, "'for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. "'And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, "'the Lord will pass over the door "'and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. "'You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. "'And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised,' You shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? you shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. The people bowed their heads and worshipped. The people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. The bulk of these verses, as you can see, are Moses relaying God's instruction. We get a few more supplementary details you probably picked up through the account. You notice the hyssop plant, very much even by its design, like a, a brush feature to it with little points that, would, that could be used to spread the blood on the doorpost. And then another, look in verse 22, do not leave your house till morning. We talked about the lingering, but stay put until the light comes. And noteworthy, a command for the future generations. Look at verse 26. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Stop there. What do you mean by this service? He just says the picture, Israelite children asking mommy and daddy, what do you mean by this service? In other words, your children, Israel, will ask, why the Passover? Why the feasts? Why, dad, are we killing this lamb? It's a great lamb, a perfect lamb. Why are we killing it? Why are we not eating leavened bread? Why are we eating strange bread for a week? Those are good questions, right? And you get the, the sense that after the exodus, you like, yeah, I want, those are great questions. Kids always ask the good and right questions. Not unlike, not unlike the questions that children still ask today. And not unlike... The questions that children have asked in recent generations, you know these questions. Why are we going to church? Why? Why do we read our Bible? Why is it so important, kids ask? And I wonder, by way of an aside, in recent years, if they're getting the right answer to those questions, let alone any answer. As we consider the past century, just to name one, questions going unanswered, consider the simple answer. Now look at verse 27. This is the answer from the Lord, directly from him. You shall say, in other words, parents, this is what you need to say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. That is definitely not biblical rocket science, right? This is the simple truth communicated from one generation to the next of deliverance. Why do we do this, Dad? Why Church Sunday? Why is this so important? Kids always have questions. And again, here we see very good ones. And here we see God give the good, the right, and the simple answer. Son, we do this, we remember and gather, because we have been spared. Do you see that emphasis? We do this because we've been spared. Spared from what, Daddy? Spared from hell and the wrath of God. That's the answer. By the Passover of God, His mercy. That's it. That's it. Remember, we do this, we gather to remember God's mercy. That's the emphasis, and we miss that. We've missed it for years. I'm quite certain our children have been getting very different answers. I believe you'll resonate with some of this questions over the past decades. Why, Dad? Why? Why? Well, son, church is fun, and youth group is fun until they get bored. Well, daughter, you know church makes you feel good, and it does until it doesn't. Well, children, uh, church church will answer those questions. Let's go. Church has the answer, and churches haven't had the answer, and they're not getting it at home. And we see all of those children as adults today. Questions mishandled, not handled, farmed out to churches that are no longer standing. Yet here... Mercifully, in this moment in Israel, deliverance received. And we see this deliverance, in fact, passed on. We continue. Look at this picture of reception capped off with this at the end of verse 27. The people bowed their heads and worshipped. Look at that response. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. You see that? How did the people receive deliverance? They worshipped their God with true reverence. And they went, and note this, these simple little words of obedience. They went and did as commanded. You see that? They obeyed. They obeyed Yahweh. They filled the prescription, if you will. And don't miss this. God had already secured the deliverance for them. This is magnificent. This was already a done deal. This is not a conditional thing. It was already a done deal. This was a matter then of faith. Do you believe in what God is saying? Do you believe that he secured a Passover for you? Israel, do you believe it? It's a matter of faith. The ancient Israelites were not aware, they couldn't have been, of all that was ahead in the fullness of time. Have you ever thought about that? In this moment, they couldn't possibly know. And here comes Moses, 80 plus, and says, Thus says the Lord, take the very best that you have and slaughter it. And take that blood and put it over your doorpost." It's kind of like a Walls of Jericho moment. Some would be saying, really? The Noah's Ark moment, and on and on it goes. It's, it's never been a matter of, okay, well, this will do it. No, God's already done. Do you believe? You see that? Do you believe it? It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of faith. They were just given the plan and the offer. How magnificent is that? God says there's nothing for you to do. Do you believe? It still is today. Imagine, death is coming and here's the offer. Beloved, that is receiving deliverance in faith just as it is today. And here it is, trusting in the blood of a spotless Lamb of God for God's vengeance and wrath to pass over you. That's it. That is the good news proclaimed. And do you receive it? Because at the end of time... Only righteous, perfect blood will effectively save you. I almost feel like I need to highlight that. At the end of time, it's only going to be spotless, perfect blood that will save you. That's it. The only blood that will trigger that eschatological Passover will be perfect blood. That's it. There's no other blood. And you're going to tell me this. You're going to say, well, nobody is perfect. You're going to say, nobody is spotless. And I will tell you, that's right. That's right, no one is. And you will then say to me, Well, how can anyone be saved? Let's let the text tell us as we continue. Deliverance realized. Deliverance realized. The final plague arrives. Death has come. We continue in verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon. And all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night. He and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people. Both you and the people of Israel. And go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said. And be gone. And bless me also. Amazing. Death comes to every house. and Pharaoh's response, so much here. Death comes to every house. Verse 30, there's a great cry. Do you see that? In all of Egypt. I mean, just think for a moment. Can you just imagine the conditions that night? It's the dark of night, and all you hear is wailing from every single house. My firstborn is dead. You talk about... Unbelievable judgment. Widespread judgment. Every house death strikes. That is, every house, mark it again, not covered in the lamb's blood. After nine defiant stands by Pharaoh... You can imagine, right? Maybe you're there. You can hardly believe what you're reading in verse 31, 32. You hardly believe, after these chapters, then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go. He says it twice. Serve the Lord as you have said. And then this, take your flocks and your herds of you, said, and be gone and bless me also. You can hardly believe that, right? Say, is this the same Pharaoh? God has broken the bonds of Pharaoh in Egypt. Again, he says it. Just take it in. Look at verse 31, 32. He says, up, go out. He says, go, serve the Lord. He says, be gone. Pharaoh releases them. In a very lesser sense, ultimately, it's God delivering. Israel, by the power of God alone, working through what is now the command of Pharaoh, and now Israel is free before our doubts creep in, because you might say, well, we've seen all this before, even the, the ask for blessing, we've seen all of this before. Look at verse 33. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead, not just the firstborn, but all of us. Verse thirty-four. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians, and the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about six hundred thousand men on foot. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So the same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Now there's so much again here as we work through these accounts, so much to rejoice in and lots of fulfillment. You see that. Consider just by way of a couple, the spoils. Do you remember the spoils, Egyptian spoils? Promised in chapter 3 and chapter 11, And look at this. Fulfill. Look at verse 35. People of Israel did, as Moses told them, they asked the Egyptians for silver. And then what? Verse 36. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And then this at the very end. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. That was foretold by God. Also, not just the spoils, but the years predicted to Abraham. 400 years We see that fulfilled in verses 40 and 41, and we looked at that prophesied earlier. Yet what we cannot miss is the deliverance. That is the fulfillment at the center of this all. This is the Exodus itself. From the very moment, consider this, the sovereign plan of God from the beginning of time. Turn back to Exodus 3. Remember how this all started when God came down and revealed himself. Remember Exodus 3, verse 8 can imagine Moses here not possibly knowing what the next few weeks and months would hold. And this is what God says from the very moment he meets Moses on that mountain. He says, verse 8, I have come down, why? To deliver them, this is my people, out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That's what he said in chapter 3. But that's not all. That's not all. Go to chapter 6. Repeat it again as he's weaving through this call to Moses, who is throwing up protests. Chapter 6, verse 6, God says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and what? I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you. With an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And then, of course, look at chapter 12. This has been foretold. It's been foretold. Chapter 12, verse 37, said so simply, almost like a geographical statement. Look at it. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth. That would be, in other words, out of Egypt. Trajectory out of Egypt. Amazing. God's people are delivered. This is the initial release as they leave Ramses. The journey begins, deliverance realized. This 12th chapter closes with something like an appendix to the Passover, and it serves the basis for our final point, and it's this, deliverance revisited. Deliverance revisited. Look at verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you've circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their host. God says, look at that in verse 43. This is the statute of the Passover. This is it. In other words, again, this is the ordinance. Once again, we would say this is how it will be. This is how it will be. And here, rather than rehearse the instructions, look at this. God revisits the very heart of it. And this is where he goes back. Even beyond the walls of Exodus here, the book of Exodus, God says no foreigner shall eat of it. Look at that in verse 43. Now before we take that wrongly, let's understand a few things. This is not Passover discrimination. This would be Passover defense. That's what God is doing. God is saying the Passover is closed to those that it does not cover. That's what God is saying. God is saying the Passover is for his chosen people, his covenant people. We've already seen that in practice with the Lamb's blood. In other words, these are people under, marked, and aligned with the covenant. To remember that covenant, not the opening words in this Exodus account. Do you remember going back to the forefather himself, Abraham? Do you remember that? He actually gave a, a covenant to him. And who are such covenant people? flowing back to Abraham, they are here in the first Passover. Israel, of course, for sure, look at verse 47. For sure, Israel, all the congregation, that's assembly of Israel, all of them shall keep it. God's chosen people, Israel, the Passover's for them, no doubt. However, it's not just exclusive to them. And this is what I want us to grab when you you see a, a verse initially, you think, well, that's limiting. No, it's not just... For them, look at what the text says, included in this Passover institution are, verse 44, who? Household slaves. Household slaves. This would look forward beyond Egypt where the Jews would have slaves in their house. We'll come back to them in a moment. And also look at this at verse 48. Strangers in the land. Sojourners were of all ethnic backgrounds, wandering from region to region. And maybe you see a few dots connecting here. So that is Israel, slaves, and strangers. That is a mixed multitude, as the text says, for sure. Yet a mixed group with one thing in common. And this is it. Turn to Genesis 17. One thing this group has in common. Genesis 17, again, one of those chapters, one of those texts that... Uh, is giving us information about that original covenant with Abraham. And here's one important detail that will get fleshed out here in these opening verses. Just follow with me and tell me what maps with what we're reading in Exodus. Chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. That I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. The language needs to just be coming off the page there, right? With what we've seen already in Exodus. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, hence the Abrahamic covenant, and you shall be the father, look at this, of a multitude of nations. Do you see that? Not just of my people, of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I've made you the father again of a multitude of nations. How often even the Jews in the first century miss this point. A multitude of nations, not just the Jews. I will make you, verse 6, exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And look at this, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout your generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. All of this we've seen coming to fulfillment in some sense through the book of Exodus, right? And more, though, and let's not miss the big detail here. God said to Abraham, as for you, you should keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations, this is my covenant which you shall keep. And what is that? Between you and me and your offspring after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your four skins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant. See that? A sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house, look at this, or bought with your money, do you see that? From any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Does that ring a bell? Verse 13, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. In other words, all of that group, Israel, slave, stranger, shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised, now there's the limiter, anyone who is not circumcised, thereby not part of the covenant, who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now turn back to Exodus 12. There is a sign of that covenant, that covenant to Abraham, for a multitude of nations. Do you see that? As we look at Exodus, look at verse 44. I pray we'll start to see this come together. So not just the slave, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it. After what? You have circumcised him. What about verse 48? Not just any stranger, if a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males what? Be circumcised, then he may come near and keep it. One law, one way for both, mark it the native and the sojourner. That's how it was then in the Old Covenant. And by the way, look at it, wrapped up in verse 49. There shall be one law for the native and the stranger who sojourns among you. This is the way it was in the old covenant. Those that were under that covenant and also had a sign of the covenant. Do you see that? Those are the ones. Those are the ones for the Passover assembly. And church, that's how it still is today for God's people in the new covenant. The new covenant. And we still remember the Passover, if you will. Just not this one, the way that the Jews were called to in Egypt. We still remember, though. We remember the second one. At Calvary. We remember that Passover at the Lord's table. Which we look at now. A new covenant ordinance. That's what this is. A new covenant ordinance for us to participate in when we gather together. A lasting ordinance where we remember the blood of another lamb. The Lamb of God. John 1.29. That lamb's blood... If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have been saved by Him, if you repented of your sins and believe in Him and place your faith and trust in Him, the Lamb's blood of Jesus Christ is on the doorpost of your soul. If you believe in Him, if you believe in Him, that Lamb's blood, beloved, is our deliverance. And that's it, there's nothing else. And it's deliverance from death and more, death and the wrath of God visiting your soul. The Lamb's blood. The Lamb's blood is our protection. In fact, we cannot say this enough, that the Lamb's blood, especially today, the Lamb's blood is the only deliverance from the wrath of God. And only if you are in Christ, washed by His blood, will God's wrath pass over you. That church is the new covenant mark, the new covenant inclusion. (laughs) Symbolize that newness of life, that being saved and passed over. We have another ordinance, baptism, to demonstrate that. But ultimately, the sign of this covenant is a circumcised heart. A heart that's regenerated. A heart that has repented of its sinful ways and put its faith and trust in Yahweh. That's the sign of the New Covenant, the inward sign of the New Covenant. A blood-bought righteousness by the Lamb of God, Christ Jesus. And that may be the most important thing you ever hear in these dark and scary times. If you hear one thing about safety, it is that. The blood-bought righteousness that is only found in Jesus Christ. Because on that day when death visits your household, the question begs, will you be covered when the angel of death comes? Will your residence, not just outside Egypt, but here it is in eternity on the other side of this earthly death, will your residence there, the place you're going when you die, will it be secured by the Lamb's blood or your own? We don't have to say how imperfect And how impossible our blood is to save. It cannot. In fact, our blood, by nature and practice, secures us residence in another place. And we don't want that. Friends, true safety, true deliverance is through faith in Christ's blood to save. Like Israel, but in fulfillment. Like the shadow, but now the actual. Will you place your faith in the blood of the Lamb? That inward repentance and faith is what marks out the Lord's table today. That's why we gather around it. And as such, this is a restricted ordinance. I mean, it is by nature and prescription. It's a restricted ordinance, just like it was in Egypt. Do you see that? It's restricted. Where old covenant inclusion was marked externally by circumcision, new covenant inclusion is marked spiritually with inward regeneration. Thus, this is for believers. Those that have placed their faith in the Passover of God and the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. This is those marked by the permanent indwelling by the Holy Spirit. That's your covenant mark. And that mark, like the Old Covenant, is not a matter of tribe or tongue. No, the New Covenant is an assembly of people of all nations. All nations. But all nations with people covered by the blood of the Lamb. The Lord's table here today at Westmount is open only to those with faith in the Lamb. That's it. Just like the shadow was in the old, it is true today. Faith with blood in the Lamb. The Lord's table open only for those in the new covenant who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now if that is not you, please let these elements pass you by. Because they are truly, and I say this to you, they're meaningless. They're meaningless. And more, they will earn you nothing, they get you nowhere, because only the Lamb's blood and your faith in the Lamb's blood does that. But, God might be calling you today. He might be. God might be convicting you right now of sin and unrighteousness. I wonder if He's calling you today. If you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, maybe He is right now calling you in these times. And if that is you feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I want you to hear the Word of God. As God in the program in history moved from the Jews, and said, okay, now I'm going out to all the world. Listen to this text from Acts 10. And the apostles he called to do so. Acts 10, 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. It's not about nation, right? It's not about where you're from. How about you're here or there? He shows no partiality. But in every nation, here it is, here's the limiter, anyone who fears him And does what is right is acceptable to him. It starts with the fear that then informs the action. As for the word that he sent to Israel preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. Verse 39. to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Verse 43, to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, that is Christ Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's the call. That's it. As we ask so often and we must in these times, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Is the Lamb's blood your faith and trust? Not not for safety here. Not to get through to next week or the next year. Maybe virus-free or whatever. No, 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 no. Your security for eternity. Because, again, as I've said so often, I know I'm repeating myself, there is a virus that's killing all of us with 100% mortality rate. And when that virus takes you, where will you go? What will be on the doorpost of your soul? Everyone who believes in him is passed over. That's the wrath of God that passes over because of the lamb's blood, because their soul is blood washed by the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. We remember him how, now. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. We remember him now as we go to the table. And I pray again. I need to remind us, myself included, this is not, I pray for each of you, a rote ordinance. I pray maybe for some of you, you've been yearning for this moment to come back together around the table. Just to be here and partake. To participate in the body of Christ. And remember the Passover that secures your eternity. Maybe that's you. Today we're going to do it Corporately. As we've been doing familiarly, so when the ushers pass around the, the bread and the juice, as they do that now, hang on to it. I want each one of us, as you hang on to it, take a moment, the quietness of your own heart. I want you to think about what has been purchased for you. As you think about texts like Exodus 12, thank you, I want you to think about circumstances today. Today, as you think about scenes like the wailing that would have gone on in Egypt, I want you to think about circumstances today. As you think about the oppression and the bondage and the tyranny that God freed his people from, I want you to think about what is going on today. And as you think about this insatiable quest for safety this unstoppable need to be free from any harm, I want you to think of the eternal harm that God spares us from when we repent and place our faith and trust in him. Isn't that just amazing? And you do nothing to earn it. Westmount, we remember that truth at the table. Do you believe? And for those that believe... This is full of meaning. This is full of meaning. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to take a moment in the quietness after I pray. I just take a few seconds. Still your heart, and then we're going to partake together. Bow with me. Father in heaven, Lord Almighty, God, we consider consider this Passover today of the new covenant that you've given to us. We thank you, Father, that we are partakers of this covenant, that you have extended that to us, not through anything that we do, Lord, but through who you are and your sovereign will, including us. We thank you for that truth, Lord. May we remember, may we remember that sacrifice today. Oh, God, may it be our comfort that we are eternally secure and safe by the blood of the Lamb. And we have nothing to fear in this world or the next because of the blood of the Lamb. So God, as we partake together, as we take a moment now in the quietness of our hearts, please continue as we examine our hearts, as we turn from those things that are not of you, as we look to renew ourselves in your grace and mercy. God, I pray that you would speak to us powerfully and let us walk away changed. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Turn to Luke 22. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. You see Jesus looking ahead to that feast, that celebration, in that day, in that kingdom. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, as we have just did. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. See, Jesus looks ahead again. Verse 19, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters here at Westbound, let's do that together. Verse 20. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is the lamb's blood spilt so that the wrath of God will pass over you. Brothers and sisters, let's partake of that together. Almighty Father, can we ever truly comprehend and understand in this limited flesh the great grace that you've given to us through the Lamb's blood. Eternal security. Washed. Forgiven. Free. Secure. Redeemed. By the blood of the Lamb. God, please help us this day as we leave this place to go out walking in light of that great truth that we remember today. Oh God, help us. Lord, turn to you in all things as we just praise your name to the praise of your glorious grace. Amen.